The last day in Seattle started out like all of the others. This morning a jazz band was playing in the corner of the deli and when they asked for requested, I suggested something from Kind of Blue, the Miles Davis classic. Without a horn in the group the electric guitar took over the role and played the piece for 10 minutes. I was impressed and the head of the band told me that the guitarist had really improved over the past 10 years. Nick added afterwards that he had recorded some of the American songbook with this group but others in the band were not up to his standards for the job. We sat at the counter with the picture window overlooking the street and patio. Nick read one of the local papers and discussed how the governor of Washington state was meeting with President Xi of China. Some people were suggesting that the governor might run for president but I knew that role was already going to Hillary. I knew nothing about local politics and sat silent eating my meal listening to the conversations around me. Out of the corner of my eye I watched a woman walk into the deli. I had been repeatedly told about the beautiful exotic Asian women living in Seattle but after a week of staying there and seeing little of Seattle I took the information to be a local myth I should disregard. A few women I did meet were just like the college students I saw in my own town with three universities. Young naive and consumed by pointless overcharged educations, with a thirst for consumerism, the women I saw in Seattle were clones of this model, until this day. The woman who walked in was very different from anything I had seen at home or abroad. Wearing a blue sundress, her hair was pulled back into a ponytail as she stood in line only a few feet away. Dark red lipstick emphasized her smile and when the owner of the shop walked up to say hello her eyes squinted as she smiled. She knew the owner and continued her conversation as I sat silently watching from afar hoping she wouldn't notice me. The sundress did little to hide her curvaceous body and I fought to remember the details of this rare beauty. Thick calf muscles teased their way into view between the brown boots and the skirt. Thick thighs blended into wide hips and a healthy attractive midsection. Completing her curvaceous figure were her full breasts. These details I was fortunate to remember and looking away from her simple and classical face of beauty was a task upon itself. Big brown eyes and thick red lips filled her oval face gave her a constant expression of kindness that wasn't faked or forced like so many I had met before. The girl at the airport bar in Salt Lake City came to mind. The woman was called to order her coffee and just as fast as she appeared, she was gone. So, the mythical women of Seattle are actually real and just like any unicorn, snipe, or Bigfoot you have to enjoy them for the few seconds they are there before they are gone. I asked Nick about the girl afterwards hoping to have a name to go with the face. He had never seen her before but by his recollection she might work for one of the local advertising agencies in Bellevue. Flying back to Kalamazoo later that night there was no point in pushing the issue. Nick had this strange idea that I needed an iPad. He had a second device that he wanted to give me and that was our mission for the day. The second iPad belonged to his girlfriend Jan who came to own it from buying a new Cadillac. She used it once, set the PIN number and after two years of sitting in the closet she forgot what the number was. Nick drove to the local mall where there was an Apple store. The mall was no different from any other except for the Tesla car store in the middle. Nick was fascinated by these cars and thought these must be a rare breed in the land of Detroit muscle. The car by itself was odd, no motor, exhaust, gas tank, transmission, or cooling system. Everything was touch-controlled and the car talked to you. I thought of Knight Rider. At the Apple store we spent an hour arguing with an employee about the resetting of the iPad. Unless you have the code, we can't help you. But we don't know the code because it's forgotten. Are you telling me that I own an iPad that I can't have fixed if I forget the code? Do you have the receipt? It belongs to my girlfriend and she got it from buying a new car. Well unless you have the receipt, I can't help you. I want to talk to somebody else. This went on for more than an hour and this was how I spent the last day in Seattle, sitting in a mall surrounded by stores I don't go to and people I don't like. I could be doing this at home. 
We left the mall with Nick promising that he would have the iPad unlocked and mail it to me. I didn't want the iPad. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't and still don't like Apple products. The iPad, even when it did become mine would become a useless pile of crap taking up space with little or no use to me. Nick never listened to me. You don't know what you're missing. Once you have it, you'll like it. Back at Walden I packed my bags and carried everything upstairs to wait by the door. I had been awake for almost 24 hours at that time and it was another 12 hours home, flying overnight to Minneapolis and then to Chicago after a 3-hour layover. I was hoping to sleep on the plane but knew that would be near to impossible. When went to a local Hooters in Seattle close to the airport. The three of us sat at a table ordering beer. I didn't want any food, my stomach felt like it was filled with rocks and the discomfort was getting to me. A cute little Latina waitress was serving us. Her hair was cute to her shoulders with bangs, her skin glowed and she was polite even when others were not. She was fit and you could tell that she went to the gym regularly. Sam flirted with her and she said things like that sweet or you don't say. These are the I'm not interested, please stop being creepy clues. Nick talked about asking her to be in a demo video for the show and Sam suggested they get business cards as producer or executive producer for getting late in the future. The slapped each other on the back for the great idea and grew excited at all the pussy in their foreseeable future. These were not the kind of guys I would hang out with in any other circumstance. I kept looking at the time and suggested that we go to the airport. Once I was dropped off, I made my way to the loading area and waited. There were little shops and I bought a rechargeable battery for my phone so that I could use it while flying back. Only problem was that you had to pay to use the Wi-Fi on the plane. They didn't even supply free Wi-Fi. I unwrapped a movie I had bought in town, Under the Red Hood, an animated Batman movie and popped it into my laptop. Myself and the two people next to me watched the movie with subtitles while the rest of the plane pretended to sleep. On the top of the mountains below us were flashing lights that didn't appear as far away as I would have liked. Small towns were glowing petri dishes in the dark. The lights condensed to the main street and gradually spreading out from the center. Minneapolis was a great non-event. I recall nothing. I was now at 30 hours without sleep. The 1.5 hour flight to Chicago took 5 hours with you include the layover and waiting on the tarmac forever. In Chicago, there was the wait for my luggage, again forced to be checked in at no extra cost. I took the shuttle to the garage where my car was still parked in the same spot, I left it. Leaving the garage, I set my phone for directions to Kalamazoo. It didn't matter where I went the phone kept telling me to make a U-turn. Frustrated I tossed the phone in the back seat. I jumped on the highway and drove as far and as fast as I could. I lost an hour in town from a stupid app and now the trip back to my hometown was taking me three hours. Then there was the traffic backup. Some idiot had jackknifed a truck and the traffic was at a standstill. Many people were jumping off the highway to take side streets around the accident. The side streets were their own traffic jam. I stayed on the highway and looked at the morons who were twiddling their thumbs trying to figure out how to move the truck. I put the audiobook on and tried not to fall asleep at the wheel. Clear blue skies and a bright sun kept me awake while squinting the whole time. I drove up to my house. Pulled into the driveway. Left everything in the car. Went upstairs and climbed into bed. I had just hit 48 hours of being awake and know it was time to crash. I wouldn't wake up until the next morning. 14 hours of sleep was just what I needed. 